0: I don't know how many families have had this experience but when our boys were young vicky was out shopping with a good friend of hers hope hope had two children of her own our boys were i think three years old and 18 months vicky and her friend hope were um, used to going out to the mall together and they would uh, uh, take turns watching over the kids while the other one shopped and there was this one particular mall that had this play area and the play area had one entrance to it. So Vicky was standing at the entrance watching the kids. She turned to look over her shoulder just to see how Hope was doing with her shopping and then spun back to look at the kids and do a head count. She only came up with three. One of them was missing. It happened to be our youngest son, John. Vicky had that panic feeling. She began to uh, uh, grab the three that were there and start yelling out John's name, John, John. And she made her way through the racks and still calling John's name. Hope jumped in. They were looking panic, uh, in a panic way, for where John might be. They finally spotted him. He was at the top of the escalator, with his toes right up at the edge. And he turned and he gave a, uh, his mom that smile that we got quite used to as John grew up, that smile of. Watch what I'm going to do. A new set of panic uh, came up in Vicki uh, that not only was her son at one point, where could he possibly be, but now it looks like he might just do a header off of an escalator. At the last moment, a stranger uh, came and just swooped John up. Vicky made her way to the stranger, and then the stranger just let Vicky have it just began to shame Vicky for letting her kid wander off and make his way toward an escalator. Shame. You know, we could compare this to the story that Jesus uh, gave about the uh, lost sheep. You know, when he told the story that, that you know, if a shepherd has a hundred sheep and one of them wanders away, that shepherd's going to go and find that one lost sheep and put him over his shoulders and bring him back and that there would be this incredible celebration. In fact, he goes on to make the point that um, there is more joy in heaven over one sinner repenting than over 99 righteous folks who, who have no need of repenting. The story of joy over a lost sheep being found That's a teaching that is behind what our passage is going to talk on today. We're in James. In fact, this is our final Sunday in James. We've uh, been going through uh, passage by passage for a number of months now, and we come to the very end of James. James uh, is uh, unlike some of the other New Testament letters in that uh, at the very end, he just uh, um, ends abruptly, you'll see you'll experience it in the words if you have your bible encourage you to open it to james chapter 5 will be in verses 19 and 20. hear the word of god my brothers and sisters if anyone among you wanders from the truth and someone brings him back let him know that whoever brings back a sinner from his wandering will save his soul from death and will cover over a multitude of sins May God add his blessing to the reading of his word and may God bless our conversation together too. All right, so let's go back over that passage a little bit. Uh, when we take a look at it, we, I think we made this comment at the beginning of our series in James that James uh, has the highest number of imperatives per word in his letter than any other letter in the New Testament. You hear that again, that James has the most... Uh, uh, directions, the most instructions, the, the, the imperative verbs uh, per word than any other New Testament book. So it's no wonder at the end that he would have this instruction, hey, if somebody wanders, if somebody wanders from the truth, no, no surprise here, uh, James reaching out to those that matter to him. In fact, that's where we start. He goes, uh, my brother's my brothers and sisters is how we would interpret it. Uh, my brothers and sisters, he underscores that there's this connection that he has with them. There is a relationship that matters. My brothers and sister, sisters, if anyone wanders from the truth, that word wanders, if anyone strays, heads out, uh, departs from the truth, scholars help us understand this whole idea of truth. Truth is not just a belief it's a way of living. It's a way of life. In fact, there's a passage in Colossians that helps us to see what this looks like. Uh, this is from Colossians, uh, not Colossians, I'm sorry. Uh, 1 John chapter 1, verse 6. It reads like this. If we say we have fellowship with him while we walk in darkness, if we say we have fellowship with God, with Jesus, if we, have, if we say that we have fellowship but still walk in darkness, we lie and do not practice the truth. Truth in the Bible is not something just to be believed; it is something to be applied and lived out. So James makes uh, the the he describes the context. He goes, "Listen, if if somebody wanders from the truth, and he says now, now if someone then goes out after him to bring him back to turn that individual back, here's what he wants that person who goes out to know." He says, whoever brings somebody back, brings a sinner back from his wandering, will save his soul. And the Greek, the grammar allows us to understand that this is the soul of the one who wandered. Now, we know, we know that from other passages that... uh, The only thing that saves a person is God's grace. The thing that brings us into right relationship with God, that that, um, provides for the forgiveness of our sins and the the restoration of a relationship with God is God's work alone. That we are saved by grace through faith and that even faith is a gift from God. So we know, we know that. And and we always allow scripture to help us interpret scripture. So this passage is not saying that because of one person's efforts, another person would be saved but it is underscoring that God uses us to reach out to others. And if a person has wandered and we take time and prioritize in our life to reach out to somebody else, there is a result. God can use that activity on our part to save another person's soul from death. Then he also adds the um, the line, and will cover a multitude of sins. You know, there's a background to this. In fact, it comes off in a very proverbial way. Proverbs ten twelve 12 uh, says, uh, Hate, hatred stirs up strife, but love covers all offenses. There's something about reaching out in selflessness, selfless love, this connection toward another person, that even if we've messed up relationships before, and and we might even see behind here in James' word that maybe a person wandered or strayed because their experience in the body of christ was not stellar maybe words were spoken or a person was treated in a certain way or 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 they saw the hypocrisy of another person in the church and they wandered they strayed that act of love that that reaching out uh, making that connection it covers a multitude of sins okay so with this understanding of the text in mind what are a couple points that we might be able to draw from this? I'm sure that there are a good number, but here's two points uh, today that I want us to uh, uh, to take a look at. The first one is this: It's not over until it's over. It's not over until it's over. You know, um, uh, if you've ever been at a sporting event where a game has gone a little bit long, you might have had that feeling. When is this game going to be over? When is it going to be finished? Do you know that the longest uh, um, uh, National Football League game occurred back in 1971? It uh, went 82 minutes and 40 seconds. 82 minutes. They're only designed to go 60 minutes. That's not including all the commercials and halftime and everything. The game by itself. That was a long football game. Of course, there was a a Major League Baseball game that went a lot longer than that. It was... uh, eight hours and six minutes eight hours and six minutes the uh, the White Sox and the Brewers Um, of course that holds nothing to a cricket match between South Africa and England back in 1939 Uh, they had scheduled it uh, over 12 days they only ended up using nine of those days because of uh, two days of rest and a day where it was rained out but in those nine days they played what was it? it they played Uh, 43 hours and 16 minutes, 43 hours of playing a game. Here's um, how many runs they scored. They scored 1,981 runs, and it ended in a draw. After all that time, it ended in a draw. The English team had to uh, catch a ship to sail back home. You can imagine the feeling of, when is this thing going to be over? Well, we might bring that question when we look at somebody who wanders from the faith is it over is it done is now this their life from here on out i believe that the scripture says it's not over in, in till it's over and i thought that maybe we could address the question uh by taking a look at uh, the difference between calvinism and arminianism uh, some of you who are going I don't know those things. Others of you are getting all excited because, oh, here comes some theology. So John Calvin, he lived in the first half of the 16th century, and Jacobus, Jacobus uh, Arminius um, lived in the second half of the 16th century. In fact, uh, Jake, Jacobus was only four years old when, uh, when Calvin died. Uh, there's a big difference, though, uh, in the way they approach the question of uh, when is it over, when is over, uh, in Calvinism, and this is really the teaching that would come after Calvin. So Calvin had his his writings and his teachings, and he's by the way the head of what we call Reformed theology, the theology that backs up the Presbyterian experience. Um, he said, uh, uh, at least in Calvinism, that that once saved, always saved. And so it's over. As soon as somebody's heart is quickened by God, the question of their salvation is concluded. It's done. There's no more question. Full assurance that heart has been uh, convicted of, uh, of, of the good news of Jesus Christ, and that person has assurance of salvation for all of eternity. Now, Arminius, came at it from a different angle he looked at other texts in Scripture and also the experience of watching people and, and saw that, wait, there's evidence in Scripture and in life of people walking away from the faith. Okay, so they're both claiming Scripture. We might just take a quick look at, it, at two of the passages. Uh, from John Calvin's standpoint, from a Calvinist standpoint, we come across Romans eight twenty nine through 30. It goes like this. For those whom he foreknew, for those whom God foreknew, He also predestined to be conformed to the image of his son in order that he might be the firstborn among many brothers. And those whom he predestined, he also called. And those whom he called, he also justified. And those whom he justified, he also glorified. Did you notice how God is the mover uh, throughout those two verses? God is the one who foreknows, God is the one who predestines and justifies and glorifies. In fact, the passage will go on to say, uh, as Paul writes, it goes on to say, um, if God is for us, who can be against us? And that nothing, nothing, nothing can separate us from the love of God. It's a pretty clear case for once saved, always saved. That it's over as soon as a person's heart is um, uh, made to come alive by God's hand. But then Arminius Uh, and his followers come in and go wait a minute how about some other passages let's take a look at something like hebrews chapter 3 verses 12 through 14 take care brothers lest there be in any of you an evil unbelieving heart leading you to fall away from the living god but exhort one another every day as long as it is called today that none of you may be hardened by the deceitfulness of sin For we have come to share in Christ if indeed, listen to this, if indeed we hold our original confidence firm to the end. All right, so there are passages in the Bible that seem to very much indicate that it's possible to wander away. So what do we make of this? Well, we know that both Calvin and Arminius uh, supported that faithfulness matters. So we know God's at work, that God, God is the only one that can quicken hearts. And, and when God moves, there is something that can be counted on for all of time. And yet, both Calvin and Arminius would underscore faithfulness matters. So maybe we could turn to another story that Jesus provided, another parable that might help us uh, understand this whole thing of when is it over for a wanderer? He told a story of um, these four soils um he, he told he told a story that okay so there's seeds that would fall on a path and well those seeds a bird would come along and, and take the seeds and fly away that would be like a person who heard the good news of uh, of what god was doing in and through jesus christ and the good news of god's kingdom uh but there wasn't much understanding and so the evil one comes and takes that uh that faith away that understanding away then there would be seeds that would fall on rocky soil. And seeds on rocky soil, because there's not much soil there, that, that they don't have the ability to establish roots. And so, as Jesus explained it, when uh, turmoil would come up and, and challenges in this world, that, that the, those turmoils would cause the person just to give up because there, there wasn't those roots that was connecting them deeply there would be seeds that would fall among thorns, and thorns would be like the cares of the world and the deceitfulness of riches, and, and so they would uh, they would just kill the plant, they would kill the seed, and nothing could grow, there would be no fruit. And then finally Jesus says, "But there is good soil, and when seeds fall on good soil and they, they take root and, and, and they can grow and they, they, they become fruitful. So maybe here's a way to think about those who wander and stray, that God is still at work tilling soil. God is still at work tilling soil to make sure that, that the seeds that are planted in a person's life become those kind of seeds that establish roots and grow and bear fruit. And so when we see somebody wandering or straying, that we can know that God might even use us to help till the soil of that person's life if anyone wanders uh, from the truth and someone goes to bring him back. God using us to till the soil of another person's life. It isn't over until it's over. God would use us to represent his love to someone who has wandered from the faith. So then, the second point that we can make from our time today is that faith is not a private matter. For some reason, in our culture, we have come up with this conclusion, at least uh, among a number of Christians. Well, you know, faith's a private matter. What if someone believes, it really is their own choice. And so, if someone wants to believe something else, I'll just let them go along with that. But we find in our own texts that that's not true. In fact, James writes uh, to his readers, that they would know, that they would be called back. He provides all these imperatives because there's a relationship. He says, my brothers, my brothers and sisters, that relationship matters. It's not a private thing. And so we're called into this relationship that is meant to have a a connection where we care for one another. And in James, when he calls out to them that that they would care and reach out to the one who has wandered and gone off in their own direction. If someone wanders and then someone brings him back. You know, in our culture, this reluctance to, uh, to bridge a gap between uh, uh, where a person might have been in their faith and where they are now, this, this reluctance to treat faith as a communal matter, uh, there can be a, a whole lot of reasons for that and we could make uh, a substantially long list. But for us today, let's just look at some of the reasons that I think bubble toward the top. One of the reasons why we don't reach out to someone who may have wandered away is because we might not want to be uh, um, associated with the shame. In fact, maybe we have this sense of shame that comes up in us that that if I'm associated with that person and the lifestyle that they're living, and well, I just don't want that, so I'm going to Stay away from that person. It's kind of like the whole scarlet letter thing. We let the other person be defined by their choice rather than saying, God wants that person to be defined by his love. And so how can I take God's love and bring it toward that person? I think a second reason why we might be reluctant to uh, bridge that gap, to go out and see and find that lost sheep, is we might ask ourselves the question, well, really, who has time for that? it's It's so awkward and and so challenging it's uh um it's messy you know to to enter into that kind of relationship. It's far easier to work on a church program or or to uh be an usher on a Sunday morning, but to come alongside somebody and to get involved in their mess and and share my mess and to to work through hard questions, we might just think, well who's got time for that? I think a third reason why we might uh, avoid reaching out to one who has uh, wandered from the faith is that we fear being exposed uh, for our own hypocrisy. We know the gaps in our own life. We happen to uh, uh, know our own faults. And and if we go and call somebody else back to the faith, maybe we'll have to hold ourselves accountable to um, being faithful in our own lives. One more reason we can mention this morning is that we're having too much fun hanging out with the rest of the sheep. You know, it's just, there's so much going on in in my Christian community that that, um, I'm just too busy to think about the person who's wandered away. Have you had some of these own very feelings inside of you? Maybe it's time to recapture that lost sheep story Remember Jesus' emphasis that, that there is a celebration in heaven, that there's this party, that there's more joy in heaven from a sheep that is found, from a sheep that returns, from a sinner that repents, than from all the rest of the righteous who have no need of repentance. And that when we reach out, when we, when we go and God uses us to, to reawaken, to, to bring somebody back to the truth a soul is saved yes God does the heavy lifting but God would use us to save a soul from death and to cover over a a multitude of sins that that if there has been disconnect between that person and the body of Christ our going toward them in humility and in love can cover over a multitude of of offenses all right so the two points being one the first being it's not over until it's over and the second being that faith is not a private matter it's meant to we're meant to be engaged in one another's faith maybe we can end with some practical bits practical bits whom do you know who's wandered from the faith i bet you know somebody maybe somebody in your family maybe a a a grandchild or a parent or a, um, a brother or a sister that somebody who's wandered from the faith I bet you there are people living on your block or in your apartment complex that grew up in a church and maybe even made a confession at some point, that maybe even uh, participated in the life and ministry of a local church, and only now they have no connection. Who do you know that has wandered from the faith? Hold on to those names. Because we next ask the question what role would God have you play in? bringing that person back, in helping that person to turn back toward Christ. Would God have you pray? Absolutely. (laughs) There's no question about it. You can begin right now praying for that person. I bet you uh, many of us already have been praying for somebody. We've been praying, God, would you you help them uh, um, to be able to receive and understand your word? Would you cause it to be that there would be deep roots in their faith? Would you make it possible that the, that the thorniness of this world, that the, the cares of the world and the deceitfulnesses of riches, that they wouldn't interfere with that person's faith? Would you move, God? Praying is so appropriate. So what role might he have you play? Would, would he have you um, practice uh, humble integrity? Absolutely yes your faith pattern matters you're called i'm called to be light in this world and if we're not committed to to practicing humble integrity um, then all we show is this double-mindedness that's what james called out in a number of places in his letter that we're not to be double-minded not to say we believe one thing but then live according to a different pattern so our willingness to confront our own duplicity, our own double-mindedness, opens up the door to to provide a greater sense of humility and integrity. We have been people who have received mercy, so let's show mercy. Would God have you be the one who gives a direct encounter with the person? Would God have you be the one who goes out and actually establishes the relationship and, and has the conversations? Well, here I think we, we can give a yes and a no. Every single one of us can be sent into this world, and God would send every single one of us to reach out to somebody who's walked away from the faith. But there may be some relationships where we want to think about wisdom. Maybe we're not the person that God would have go. Maybe there's so much baggage in our relationship that unless we're willing to deal with that baggage, to confront our own involvement in, a ba- in the baggage, that will end up just pushing the person farther away. We really have to work through wisdom. God, am I the one in this relationship, or can I be praying that you would raise somebody else up to be your grace to this person? Maybe one more practical bit. Maybe you're the one who's wandered from the truth. Maybe you've been playing a game on the outside, and you've been hiding your wandering your strain from the truth, your lack of practice of the faith from the rest of your congregation. You know, I uh, i think we all would want you to be able to return, to come back, to not have to play the game. I know that God wants to throw you a party, that God wants there to be celebration in heaven over the... Uh, The choice that you make to return to Christ, to repent of sins, to come back to the truth and believe it and practice it. So here I'm going to ask a favor of you. Would you risk talking with somebody? Think of somebody you know who's a Christian who you feel is trustworthy that, that you could count on. Would you reach out to them and let them know that you've wandered, that you're struggling with your beliefs. You're struggling with your faithfulness to God. And enter into that relationship. And, and in that relationship, trust that God will work to till the soil that the good news of Jesus Christ would have roots in you and would then produce fruit in your life. Listen, I am so glad that Vicki was able to bring John home. All those years ago, I was so glad that Vicky was able to bring John home. I look forward to hearing stories of how God uses you and how God uses me to bring somebody back, somebody who's strayed or wandered, that lost sheep who God so desperately desires to return to the fold. Let's let God use us in representing his love to all those including those who wander. In Christ's name, amen.